Hi, my name is JJ Anselmi, and I'm the author of Doom to Fail, the incredibly loud history of doom, sludge, and post-metal. Um, I would tell you what it's about, but I'm guessing you could uh, make an educated deduction based on the uh, subtitle. Today, I'm uh, really stoked to be talking with uh, Sam McFeeters, uh, legendary vocalist from uh, Born Against. How's it going, Sam? Hi, everyone. Hey, nice to meet you over the phone, JJ. I'm Sam McFeeters, author of Mutations, also a great book. And I'm excited to talk with you and everyone else. Yeah, likewise. Um, so a lot of kind of what I look at in the book um, with like the sludge chapter is looking at the punk influence and how hardcore really kind of, you know, shaped that whole genre. And so in the chapter in my book about uh, Wino, um, I focused a lot on him and St. Vitus playing to uh, punk and hardcore crowds that at first really were not into uh, what they were doing. So I was wondering if you could uh, speak to, I've heard a lot over the years about, you know, the kind of rivalry between uh, metal and hardcore fans. So I was wondering if you could uh, speak to that at all. Hmm. I don't know if it was ever a rivalry when I would have picked up on that, but I saw St. Vitus on probably an early tour and was completely dismissive. And I will be regretting that on my deathbed, hopefully many decades from now. <laughs> that is such a bummerific memory um, yeah. that I just was like, ho hum, whatever these guys leave. Yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah, rival. I mean, I guess yeah, <clears throat> rivalry, but more like I I think in the years when I would have been noticing that, so maybe like eighty five to ninety three, it was more like adjacent consumer groups. Right, right, right. And there was definitely a lot of spillover, but in both directions. I remember meeting a lot of people in New York who told me that they had found whatever version of New York hardcore scene they were part of through metal. But then also there was a period in 86 where I and my friends discovered Metallica, which seems like a really weird thing to say now, but there was a time when they weren't ubiquitous. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then through them, I don't know, obviously Slayer. Uh, I'm going to cringe saying this, but Anthrax was on the list. Oops. Yeah, Anthrax, um, Anthrax is awesome. I, I have very mixed feelings about that band versus Slayer. Like, yeah, true. Uh, that first album, still up there in the in the pantheon. '86 was a really good year for records in multiple genres, and that was definitely one of them. Yeah. And then there were bands I listened to that were metal that I've like Testament. I've never listened to Testament in like the 30 years since. Were Testament good? Um. I guess if you want to do like the hierarchy of thrash stuff like that, yeah, I think you're right. Like Metallica and Slayer were, you know, the kings in my opinion. Master Puppets and Rain and Blood are just like um, front to back perfect records. Genius in so many ways. But uh, yeah, and then I think Anthrax to me is um, like maybe down one step still like really good but then you know it's it's not really on the same level and then i think testament was maybe one <laughs> one level below 
Sure, at least one level below. Anthrax to me seemed always like they were trying too hard. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, 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 I could see that, and yeah, there's there's some fun songs, and then you know they did some kind of. It, it, I guess it was both kind of goofy and cool when they um, collaborated with Public Enemy. You know, I don't think I've ever heard that song. I loved <laughs> Public Enemy so much Yeah. that I didn't want to hear that. The same way that I don't think I ever needed to hear the collaboration they did with John Carpenter on Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> that was not cool at all. <laughs> Here's a question about Metallica, though. All right, so are you... I can't imagine that there's anyone, but I, I mean, I know there are millions of people like this, but are you someone who has a cutoff from Metallica or do you keep enjoying their work? Like, do you enjoy Lulu, the collaboration they did with Lou Reed or <laughs> any of their last like six albums? Um, yeah, I, I am, you know, kind of stereotypical metalhead in that, uh, I'm a, I'm a purist for the first four records for sure. That's weird to me too because I'm I'm a purist for the first three records, and me and everyone I know tuned out on it's the fourth record is and justice for all record? and justice for all. Yeah, that's the one that we all tuned out on really hard. Just e- check completely checked out on the band, but you include that in the pantheon or whatever it should be called. Yeah, for sure. I think they were kind of a. It's kind of the logical conclusion of where they were with like master of puppets as far as like kind of pushing that type of, you know, like, I guess you could call it like symphonic influenced metal. I think they were even like getting toward like borderline prog in some ways. And that is just like super epic compositions. Um, but yeah, I, I have heard people say that even master is the cutoff for them, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, black album has some, you know, cool songs. I do think it's, I'm definitely like one of those people who thinks that the more people that know about metal, the better. And so I think it was rad that, you know, the Black Album reached this entirely new audience for metal and showed all kinds of people like what it was. But uh, yeah, I mean, compared to those first four records, I don't think any of that later stuff really compares. Um, And one of the huge bummers is, hearing Metallica themselves talk about some of that stuff and be like pretty or anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or anything. Yeah. Good point for sure. Um, but be very dismissive of like, and justice for all, especially for some reason. Really? Yeah. They really say like, from what I've heard them, the way they reference it is like, um, you know, Oh, like those were that ridiculous time period when we were writing these like eight, nine minute songs. But then we, figured out that you have to write three and four minute songs so people actually want to listen to them and um, right. yeah it's always kind of a bummer when you hear an artist like you know dismiss the time in their lives and not really take it that seriously i think huh uh, um yeah and then sometimes the- i make a distinction between what artists think of their art because i'm in that camp i'm not nuts about things i've done sure and then pretty openly discuss the accommodations that they made to became uh who they are commercially yeah exactly but i I mean i'll still get shivers if i hear anything off master of puppets versus i know i've heard things from the next record and didn't give me shivers so i didn't pay attention to it yeah i mean yeah i'm i'm with you master puppets is uh hard to beat i mean i'm the same way when i hear that 
very beginning kind of a acoustic guitar intro for battery some mm. some something yeah, yeah. just you know <laughs> it, it just hits that same exact spot it had since i was like 17 years old and a hessian kid in wyoming and it's a weird thing that there's anything that's capable of doing that because so many things are not there are so many things in life yeah objects sandwiches smells where you remember oh yeah that used to really do it for me that, that's strange yeah but wait tell me a little bit more about your background so you you started out as a metal kid it sounds like yeah for sure i'm still you know metal person and a lot yeah still a metal person but uh so i grew up in um small town in wyoming um and really kind of like started finding my own music in the mid to late 90s and then early 2000s um and as i'm sure you you know well remember the kind of pre-internet i guess i was like um a, a very early internet kid or came in to music on my own in like the very early days of the internet so when naps yeah which and... at this point is as alien as no internet that For sure. early internet of the 90s is such a weird thing to remember just the way everything operated was so clunky and yeah. archaic it was just like a big game of mousetrap and for sure. And uh, yeah, it's just bizarre that 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 even that there was that intermediate world of like AOL accounts and uh, God, that modem sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dial up modem. Yeah. Yeah. So and and yeah, like you said, it was not advanced at all. And so I still feel like there was a big element of like having to be pretty active of like once you find out about kind of an underground world, you had to be really um you know um active and trying to find stuff that you like and so another way that i would find music was through uh bmx videos because i was super into bmx what? and yeah I, I don't know any is that like a world that or yeah. is that your your private finding i don't ex, please explain that to me i don't, yeah. I don't get that i didn't I, up until this moment i didn't even know that there was such a thing yeah it definitely was uh it was a subculture for sure i mean it was kind of um fairly niche in a lot of ways but i guess it was like skate videos and that like you know there was these kind of um people from cities that knew way more about music than i did and one of the ways they kind of communicated that to a lot of people was putting it in those videos and so that was really how i found out about like sludge and um sleep and you know melvin's and these really actually interesting heavy bands and um, crazy yeah looking back it, it was pretty yeah i had some pretty like watershed moments watching bmx videos and finding music i don't know if you know the band um floor but that was no. like um they're from like uh miami and kind of mix like these weird pop melodies with like melvin's and um godflesh essentially there is a certain year, I don't know what that year would be, but early in the 2000s where suddenly my musical knowledge drops off a cliff and I'm the equivalent of someone. It's like asking a grandparent, sure. you know about this band Sleep? And then suddenly they're talking about the sleep they got at a motel in 1946 <laughs> or something. What city in Wyoming were you in? What part of the state? Uh, Rock Springs. It's a uh, coal mining town. So it's a boom town and... Um, so yeah, it, it follows that pattern of basically going into, uh, like long periods of recession and then 
these like very rapid economic booms. And when I was growing up, it was in more of like a stagnant phase. And then when I left, when I was about like um, 19 and 20, um, it was hitting another boom. It was with the uh, oil field and hydraulic fracturing. And so I feel like that right, was, right. yeah, a lot of that stuff was really what I, pulled me toward heavy music, I think with like Black Sabbath, especially being from this industrial town, uh, Birmingham. I, I feel like I related on some kind of fundamental level of like, you just see what industrial culture does to people. You see the way those kind of corporations and companies treat their workers. Um, and I think music is, you know, a pretty natural way to uh, react to that. Of course. I'm looking at Rock Springs right now on Google Maps. Man, there's nothing around there. It's it's yeah. just you are, uh, what, like 20 minutes from the big city of Fontenelle, Wyoming? <laughs> yeah. South of Farson? Man. But you're on an interstate. Yeah. Does that affect the, the experience in that little town? Because you would have people coming through constantly from somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, as far as like bands, nobody ever really, nobody of note would really stop by. But uh, I guess, yeah, it affects it in some different ways. Like, uh, I don't know, in, in some ugly ways as far as like drugs and stuff. There's a big, a huge, oh, uh, yeah, yeah right. like meth culture. That's kind of, when I was growing up, that was like the progression of drugs was like kids, my buddies would like smoke weed. And then the next thing you knew, it was like weed and then meth. <laughs> there was there was no middle ground really. So weed was literally a gateway drug. <laughs> what was where would you go for shows? What would be the city that you would go to to see bands? Uh, we would. So Salt Lake was about uh, three hours away. Oh my god! I I I, I wow. Yeah. That takes determination, and that means that every show you went to had meaning. It wasn't like going to a show in New York for me or later Los Angeles where just ho-hum you, yeah you're going out for a night in the town this was like an adventure yeah for sure it was always a, a huge event for me and my friends the first like real show I saw was a uh, Slayer in Salt Lake which you know in retrospect is an amazing place to see Slayer for the first time um and yeah it's just completely nuts and the anticipation I think when when you don't have that stuff around you of like mm -hmm. buying the ticket and then like two months away it's like okay you know this many days until slayer and you and your friends are kind of talking about it every day at school and yeah that whole experience that's a cool way of thinking about it and then it kind of really really makes you appreciate um the music that you do find and um yeah it, it makes it special in kind of a different way I think I had that only in one way in that the city I grew up in upstate New York, in uh, Albany, which is only two hours north of New York City, shows were once every other week. So okay. there were definitely events, but they weren't events. They were events that came to us. All we had to go to do was go to a different part of the city. Yeah. Uh, did you have record stores where you grew up? I mean, how like we was it Internet only mail order only? What was um... the dynamics of that? Before I really like understood how to use the internet to find bands, it was, yeah, it was all magazines for sure. Um, and then just word of mouth. So I came to like really appreciate kind of, there's a group of um, older metal guys in town and they kind of, when we like crossed paths, there was that like cool thing of like taking, taking me under their wing and just showing me all kinds of stuff and really explaining like why certain music is is good and interesting and so yeah 
so that was a big part of it but yeah magazines and then like i said uh bmx videos yeah i would guess that having older people uh break stuff down for you in a friendly way is a really big difference between these two scenes because in the the punk world the hardcore world there there was still that component and i definitely had one of those people who was sort of like my mentor but also there were more people who were very disdainful of anyone not necessarily younger than them but anyone who had gotten into the scene for sure later than them even if it was like a year later yeah and that's always been a component to the point where i went to get my uh car fixed last year and i could walk to the place which was good because i didn't have a car and so i walked down there and i was waiting for the guy to come out and then he comes out and he's a young guy and he said oh i googled you and he starts talking to me about bands which was not what i expected yeah and then he said oh you know i I got into it real late i hope you don't think i'm a poser yeah and i thought is that like even a thing (laughs) because he seemed to say it very earnestly that he genuinely didn't want me to think that he was a poser, even though I was there just to get some body repair work done on my car. <laughs> Whereas I don't think in the metal, my impression of the metal world is that that component of it didn't exist. That in general, in this weird way, metalheads were a lot friendlier towards each other. So is that true? Yeah, I think it's it's true in a lot of ways. But then it's also, you know, there, there's plenty of, of kind of, a, you know, gatekeeper type people and you know like very true (laughs) it's kind of a a way they describe themselves which is pretty ridiculous and yeah like you said it's kind of that I mean as you get older it's you just realize it's kind of a defense mechanism I guess or that it does become sillier and sillier to try to Mm -hmm. if people are into like whatever weird subculture you're into like why why not bring them in why would you like push, push people yeah. away. It just seems like a very silly thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering, did uh, Born Against ever play with uh, any like Doom or Sludge bands or just metal bands in general? Uh, I The boundaries are really hard for me to keep track of. We played some shows with I Hate God. Oh, shit. I, I think we played a show with Sleep. <laughs> I had a really weird thing with sleep where one of the members became a monk. Do you know who this was? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, um, Tom Choi. He was, yeah. Uh, it's, that was pretty early on though. That was before sleep became this huge thing. I mean, literally the other day I was some, I don't know where, like a Hallmark store or something. And a guy walked in wearing a sleep shirt. That's awesome. And I just sort of noted it like, Oh, huh, that's weird. Um, the guy sent me, a plaque which i know sounds weird it was um like some sort of orthodox christianity some some christian image and on the back he wrote this impassioned plea for me to find god (laughs) and it was this really weird thing but it wasn't it was for them i thought it was for the band which is weird enough but at the end he addresses me in this weird kind of letter in the back you know i I must have that in my closet somewhere And so because of that, for a long time, I was like, oh, I should really give sleep a listen. Yeah. And I I just kind of didn't do it, um, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, I think now that you mentioned it, it might have been uh, 
was it Justin uh, Marler, maybe? That sounds right. I yeah. was going to say it started with a J. Yeah, yeah Tom right. Tom Choi, they were, I think it was like, it was their band before Sleep, and then he went on to uh, form Nooth Grush, but then Justin yeah. was, the, was the guy who uh, ended up becoming a monk, and that's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things I talk about in, in Doom to Fail, I, I kind of try to draw some distinctions between the subgenres and less to kind of you know like draw hard lines between them but more to just say like here's this art that came from kind of a different state of mind and so part of part of doom is that to me kind of the way i ended up categorizing it is that it has like for better or worse some kind of spiritual bent it reaches for some kind of spiritual truth or reckoning um, whereas like sludge metal is, yeah, like I hate God or Melvin's, it seems a lot more grounded and kind of concrete reality is a lot more in line. You with seem to really react hardcore that punk. we had played with I hate God. Is that a weird thing? Um, no, cause I did play with a, a ton of, um, hardcore bands. I just got really excited because I hate God plays a prominent role in this book. And when I was talking about finding bands in, uh, BMX videos, I hate God was a huge one. that's weird the first time i heard Um, him it was like i i loved metal but i hate god especially told me like hey you can play this it was that kind of like invitation uh all right yeah yeah yeah. so what was was that what was that show like the second show that they played with us was not really them so i don't know if it counts it was like a noise show it was the singer and his girlfriend and his girlfriend did some kind of dominatrixy thing I think he got beat up on stage. I didn't see that much of it. I don't know why, because that seems like that would be interesting visually. Yeah, for sure. Um, and did something to the mic that made it unusable. Like it might have gotten slimed with some bodily fluids or something. Yeah, um, that sounds accurate. And we were really bummed out, and then they just left. And so we got paid all the money, and that was the start of this weird tour. or in the middle of this weird tour where we just wound up getting big sums of money but not really for like the right reasons it wasn't because of us but just because other bands screwed up so we would get paid a lot so we had this illusion that we were a really successful band (laughs) and i remember that started at that show it was a really weird thing it was like more than a week's worth of shows like that of just getting someone's just like oh here's all the money okay (laughs) i guess you guys get to keep this the other guys aren't here yeah yeah, so I Hate God, uh, do you remember what that show with them was like? The first one was great, but I mean, I don't, I couldn't name songs or anything. I just remember they were really fun and scary. Yeah. Um, a little bit like Neurosis, who we played yeah. with, and really considered strongly to be influences to the point where I think we had a Neurosis-type song. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we played a lot of really weird bills. Like, we played with Jawbreaker and... I think it was sort of the tail end of that kind of period where a band could skirt a bunch of different scenes. And for whatever reasons, we managed to just kind of like find ourselves in these situations where people that really wouldn't be into what we were doing seemingly were into it. Like Screeching Weasel. We did a bunch of stuff with Screeching Weasel. I mean, we did that split record. Right. I know we must have played at least two shows with them. And I spent some time with them on the road once. But... Now I think back to it, that's neat, but why did that happen? That's a really strange connection because those should be two very different worlds. Yeah, for sure. 
so there was a lot of that with the band. I, there must be some, I mean, if you name some other ones, I could probably tell you, but now it feels braggy if you're like excited about it. So I, I don't know. Uh, no, I hate no, God is probably my big guns on that front. Well, yeah. Neurosis is another huge one of like, there's a whole chapter on them in the book and kind of how I've always thought about them is like just pushing heavy music into this different realm of like what's possible and what it reaches for. So, uh, what, it, what was it like? Like, do you remember when you first discovered neurosis? Not the actual, there are a few bands where I remember exactly where and was where, where I was and, and how old I was. Yeah. When I heard them, I don't have that with neurosis. I just remember that they were sort of once we discovered, I'm using air quotes with that, that band, they were just this kind of constant presence in our household. Yeah. But I don't know which record that would have been on. What about them? Like second album? What about them made it so, so special? Because I've heard a lot of, yeah, especially from like kind of the hardcore scene, like Neurosis. I mean, they came from that scene too, but then kind of took a turn. So what was it that really grabbed you guys, do you think? Uh, I think mostly they were just scary. That, yeah. Um, we were into, and I remained into scary bands and i think doing scary music is really hard the stuff yeah. that i listen to now still follows that line i'd like a very particular type of dub music which is just spooky creepy ass music that you could listen to if you were breaking into someone's house you could <laughs> just listen to a very particular type of you know like really reverb heavy yeah um, and it's very hard to find and you have to sit through a lot of reggae if you're going to do it. And I just decided a while ago, like, cool, I'm going to do that because I'm really this, these very particular songs that I like, I really like. And there was an element of that with Neurosis. I think there was an element of that with I Hate God, but not creatively. That yeah. They had a reputation for being terrifying. For sure. Um, there was a band, this is more of a hardcore band, Integrity. Yeah, Integrity, for sure. They had a reputation for being really scary, and I remember just being terrified going to play a show with them, and the singer, Dwid, who looked pretty scary, was yeah. like exceedingly polite and nice to us, to the <laughs> point where it seemed a little bit like a put-on, but it wasn't. He just yeah. That was my experience in that band. A lot of really scary people liked born against when it was happening yeah I can and see it that. was very rare that a scary person would show up for any reason to be antagonistic towards us although that did happen yeah um usually it was like some giant skinhead guy who'd obviously just had all of his teeth kicked out right coming up to talk about how excited he was about this thing yeah weird experience yeah so i love that uh i love scary music too and it's kind of I mean, it's so easy for like scary to be done poorly or just to yes. not actually, I, I think to actually reach that place is super difficult to do. And so, and seemingly yeah. not entirely in the control of the artist. True. I think there's some people who just, there are tricks of chemistry yep. where it's out of their control. I mean, there's some stuff on that on the void side of the faith void split on discord that is sonically i was trying to describe this last night to yeah. my wife these things that they did in the studio sonically and then i realized like i don't really know what they did just there was 
some stuff where they were obviously guitar notes were like slowed down or the pitch was altered just slightly or the vocals were altered. And I kind of sound like a lunatic as I was describing it to her, but some of that is just serendipity. Would that be the right word? Just the thing that happens. Yeah. And it's probably almost impossible to sustain that. I would think. Yeah. Laughing Hyenas were a band. Were they a band you were ever into? This is John Brannon from Negative Approach, his band in the late '80s and early '90s. Um, people have told me about them, and I really need to uh, rectify the fact that I haven't heard it yet. Well, I, I, you, you might not be into it. it. It could be, could be an acquired thing. Um, they were really terrifying when I saw them live, but they were terrifying because of him, because he was just a really scary person. And at one point, I remember he just kind of walked off the stage into space yeah like he made it seem like the stage was just going to keep going but it didn't and he fell pretty much on his face jesus and then just did the rest of the set bleeding and it didn't matter he clearly hadn't hadn't acknowledged that this thing had happened to him and he just kept going wow yeah i've i've heard from a few people uh, uh, there's a, a sludge band from um Miami called a uh, cavity and uh when I interviewed um the basis of that band he he mentioned specifically laughing hyenas as hmm. yeah being a big influence along with like a uh, carp right yeah of course yeah yeah so I love that kind of uh yeah and it's not like I guess when I'm talking about this type of music and that like really scary vibe it's not like this person is is gonna like beat my ass or I all the I guess it can be that can be part of it maybe but like, that can be part of it yeah. yeah but yeah with like neurosis um I remember I got to hang out with uh, Scott Kelly and and Noah for a couple hours um, some years ago and yeah like really you said, nice people in my super experience. nice ex- extremely yeah. nice um, especially suspiciously nice yeah yeah and I was just like Jesus these guys are so fucking nice but even still there was that kind of vibe especially from scott of like this dude is fucking gnarly like he just has this vibe about him that you can just tell he's maybe it's like living life in these very extreme ways or yeah that was the impression i got yeah yeah. and when they when they performed or even if you listen to the records you were getting a little bit too much insight into what it was like to be them and it was fun like a roller coaster ride but also really scary like a roller coaster ride yeah exactly yeah that's a great way to describe it and and the way they kind of look back at some of those most intense records um the one especially through silver and blood um they talk about playing it and they just say like like essentially you have to understand that like playing it night after night was like this um you know it, it was like a sacrifice in a lot of ways it was bringing all that stuff out in a very real way and living it over and over and over again. And they say like, after a while, like we couldn't fight, like we had to start writing different stuff because we couldn't do do that to ourselves, like spiritually and mentally anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me, you know, it's fucking amazing for the art, but you can also uh, identify with it. So I was uh, reading your uh, essay when men were awesome about uh you traveling with uh joe preston yeah to mount vernon yeah uh, home of george washington <laughs> yeah so i was really stoked to uh yeah see you writing about um joe preston and um there's a part about thrones and um 
mutations. Is that right? Yeah, I have a chapter on Thrones. Yeah. That um, I'm glad he signed off on. He had every right to not because it's a little bit more personal than maybe he or I wanted. Sure. And uh, yeah, he was he was very gracious about it, for which I thank him. Yeah. So how would you describe? I mean, I I was like somebody like Joe Preston. He's had his hands in so much uh, insanely influential heavy music over the years. Um, and I guess he's a metal musician. I don't know. How would you describe him as a musician? He, I think he definitely thinks of himself as a metal musician, okay. but one with a lot of other little metals pinned to his chest. I don't know. Sure. That's an interesting question. How, what does Joe, how does Joe categorize himself as a musician? What a weird thing. Yeah. Probably metal. He told me once, he seemed kind of sad. He said, everybody I know, uh, We'll listen to hardcore records with me, but no one's going to listen to the metal records. <laughs> and I think I might have said, oh, I'll listen to metal records with you, Joe. And then he would just pull out this stuff that was so far beyond my comprehension. <laughs> Joe's also really into show tunes, but he doesn't share that with people. At oh, least the times I've been with him on the road, he wouldn't he wouldn't just have like a show tunes day. And I guess that's probably good because we could all be pretty mean to each other. And if that was something he was really into, then. I get him not wanting to share that, but you know, I would have fun with him now driving around listening to show tunes. Yeah, for sure. What was the, uh, how did you guys, um, connect in the first place? Uh, when I was in a band, the, my second band men's recovery project, we decided we were going to go on tour and that we were going to, which was a thing for us. Cause for a long time we weren't going to play any live shows. So we decided we were going to do a full tour and that we wanted to go to Alaska and that it would be good to have a supporting band and also a vehicle. And suddenly Joe kind of fell into all these slots and somebody connected us like, Oh, Joe's the perfect person for this. Um, especially if you're offering this thing to Alaska, I know he would love to do that. Plus Joe as a van, this could all work out really well. And I remember being really nervous to talk to him on the phone. I lived in Virginia at the time. Okay. And then we met him at his house in Olympia the day before we went to Alaska. So it was literally just hanging out with him. He made us spaghetti, and then we all flew to Alaska together, and that was kind of like our way of meeting Joe. Um, hmm. We all clicked pretty early on. It was clear that we were all going to have a good time together, even though we've had a few intense times together and a couple – wouldn't say fallouts, but just, you know, people have arguments when they're cooped up together. Yep. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I do remember being really nervous to talk to him. What a weird thing. I knew about him long before I'd met him. I knew about him from those Melvin solo records, even before the Melvin solo records, I had just heard that he was in the Melvins. Yeah. And to me, for whatever reason, I decided that Joe was like one of us, one of the little guys and one of, one of, one of us guys made it for sure. And so then when, he left the Melvins. I remember being really bummed out, even though I didn't know him yet. Yeah. So I kind of had that little mythology of him built up before I'd ever talked with him. Yeah. That's... It's, weird. it's weird that you meet someone that kind of delivers the goods the way Joe has. He's he, whatever people expect him to be. And I know that a lot of people think very highly of him. He sure. lives up to, and there aren't, 
many people that can do that. Yeah, and that's really true. In the few years when I was in that position, I was made very aware of the fact that I was constantly disappointing people. Oh, wow. Interesting. Which is not like a healthy way to live. Sure. And I think I rectified that. Uh, but Joe, Joe does. Joe's just a really nice, personable, engaged person who gives a shit and also happens to be an amazing musician yep. with a really good stage presence. Yeah. I remember the first time I... I think I saw him was with uh, High on Fire. Um, and I mean, I, I still love High on Fire, but that show, maybe I saw him a couple times with Joe Preston, but I remember one specifically at kind of like a big metal fest that like High on Fire was definitely the outlier. Um, and they were just louder than everybody else. And Joe Preston just completely fucking blew me away. And mm -hmm. from that point on, yeah, I, I became a huge um, Thrones fan and saw him do that several times. And every time I was just like, this is so genius, but also what the fuck is happening? This is so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, it's interesting to see a figure, him especially, I, I don't know if there's anybody else who's like, he was on um, that first Earth record I think with Dylan Carlson and then on to Melvin's and then high on fire. And then he's in Harvey milk later and he's on some of those sun albums. And it's like, man, like you said, he, I think that's a lot of ground. Yeah. I think the underground people, uh, I think you're right in that. Like it's almost maybe inevitable that you'll disappoint the underground people or some fans are just always going to, you know, it's always going to be lesser than like the best thing that you did, no matter what. And Joe for some, somehow he just keeps sustaining that, which is very unusual. It seems. Yeah, it is. You're right. Very unusual. Yeah. It's so a long uh, con <laughs> game plan. <laughs> so, uh, if you were ever going to start, um, like a metal band, a heavy band, what do you think it would, how would you describe it? <laughs> Like in an alternate universe, I yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, if it's an alternate universe, I'd be the drummer first of all, and boy, would I be good. Um, <laughs> and we would do things like cover "Urgent" by Foreigner, but just do it so well that just there'd have to be an intermission in our set for just the audience to collect themselves. <laughs> That's amazing. But that's probably alternate universe style. I think every now and then it'd be fun to actually try and learn drums, like not like to get proficient on the drums, to be able to keep a beat on the drums and just try sure. and just be in some rinky dink little bar band that yeah. just plays covers. That to me seems like that would be kind of fun. When we went to Alaska on that trip, the guy that we were staying with was in a band called Danger Zone. And they were a covers band playing bars in the backwoods of Alaska. I think that was in Homer, which is not a big city. Yeah. And we, I remember we stopped in to see him at this bar. And there was a moment of me thinking, oh, I could do this. This is interesting. And there's a lot of bullshit I wouldn't have to deal with if I just did something like this. Yeah. Also da danger zones a really, really good name for a band. Yeah. There's, it's awesome. There's no way around that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, it's, it's funny, but also badass, which is 
a hard line to find. Yes. So in that uh that essay about you and Joe Preston, you mentioned something about the uh the wrong basement incident in Salt Lake. And you, you don't really elaborate on it, but I was pretty curious. Oh, you know, I did elaborate on that in mutations. Um we were staying in Salt Lake City and it was Joe's turn to sleep in the van and I came out of the place that we were staying in and I found Joe just kind of wandering the streets like he was down the block and he sees me and he yells and I was like oh Joe's upset and he said what house are you guys staying in and I pointed at the one that we were in and that I'd clearly just come from and he said well I just pissed in the corner of the basement of that house and he pointed to the one next door <laughs> and I just I'm you know I'm sorry I don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah why did he pee in the corner what a barbaric thing to have to make people stay in the van. It's so punitive. Yeah. God, that was a thing. Oh, I hated it. Like, I hated it, but I, I did it a lot because I was frequently mad at the people I was traveling with. Sure. But then the the punishment is on you. You know, sleeping in a vehicle is never fun. Yeah, it's And horrible. maybe if you get comfortable, you know you're going to wake up at 6 in the morning because you're in an uninsulated metal box yeah. on the street somewhere. Yeah. Um, do you ever see it like touring with a band again or are those years kind of, uh, I mean, you, you did it so much. I could see why you'd never want to do it again. I, I came to a very specific period in my life right after the third and last band I was in disbanded where I like my brain reorganized itself yeah. and I realized that it wasn't just that I couldn't be in a band, but I couldn't even see bands. So I haven't been to a show in a decade almost literally i mean i've popped in at a show because some friends were there mm -hmm. um the last band i went to go see like went out of my way to go see was when i was visiting family in st louis and my cousin said let's go see funky butt said, <laughs> yep so we went downtown st louis and saw funky butt and i feel like you know exactly what funky butt sounded like and i thought good this is it i'm checking out on this note funky butt will be the last band <laughs> that's awesome and i've been pretty good about that i think yeah also I, I couldn't i only had so many tricks up my sleeve I, i'm not even it's not that i'm not a musician i'm not even a singer like i i can't hold a note all i can do is scream and be theatrical and you can only go so far with that right right there aren't that many opportunities in the real world to yell at people although i did four days ago yell at some people who deserve to be yelled at so loud they jumped off the sidewalk oh damn like a tom and jerry cartoon and i felt bad because i had forgotten how loud i can be yeah that that wasn't a good moment like there's no that's not a skill set you know being sure. able to scream at people um <laughs> and i i am so far from whatever that person was that it's when i think back now on me being in bands often i get scared for myself yeah, I get this weird thing like, oh, that seems dangerous. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. As if I could go back and alter events from <laughs> 30 years ago. I also have a thing often, maybe maybe once every other month, where I'll be doing dishes and I'll be, I'll be listening to some hardcore song and sort of like kind of acting it out with my face. Yeah. I'll get really sad that I was never in a hardcore band. I was like, man, I would have been a great singer in a band. <laughs> And then I'll remember like, oh shit, I was. And then I'm and then I'm happy for the rest of the day. Like, oh I did that. That's cool. 
That's amazing. You become an entirely different narrator of your own life. It's a weird thing. Yeah. It's not bad, but yeah, it's 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 really bizarre to have a bunch of things where you're confronted with this thing that you did and it you have to do a double take like, wait, that was me? I Yeah. I don't sound like the kind of person who dancing on top of a pool table with a weird mask on my face are you sure that was me <laughs> yeah it's amazing i definitely there's a whole my first book is uh way more like you know personal narrative about growing up in wyoming and listening to metal and stuff and at least three quarters of that stuff when i was writing the book and I, you know it was only like really 10 years down the line i was like who the fuck was this this kid who like yeah this <laughs> long ass hessian hair with like jean jacket and metallica patches and you walk into high school and like you know you get called names and you just fucking hate everybody i was like who the fuck was that dude <laughs> it's yeah. a weird feeling yeah, yeah it's a very strange feeling yeah i got a bunch of letters from an ex-girlfriend that i had written to her because i've been slowly archiving everything in my life digitally because i can right and when I read those, it just didn't, there wasn't one little pip of recognition. It was, it just seemed like it was written by someone else. It was a really strange feeling. Yeah. And that's a little bit what those records to me feel like. Just interesting. Someone else did them. Well, uh, so what was one of the uh, big challenges of writing Mutations, would you say? Mutations was a really, really not cool book for me to write mentally or physically. It turned into really heavy sort of therapy because it was supposed to just be things I'd already written. And then once I started tweaking stuff and I realized what it could be mm -hmm. and kind of what I think it became, it just was sort of endless and grueling. I don't even know exactly why, but it was a really bad experience. I just, I had to stop yeah. in the middle of it. So there were a couple chapters that just didn't make it into the book that you know, maybe someday I'll, go back and revisit, but not anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and also there's a fair amount of revealing stuff about me in the book that required me really smoothing out and getting right. There's one chapter, just really the main chapter on my experience in born against mm -hmm. that I'd written five years earlier because I really wanted, I didn't, I had no idea what I was going to do with it. This book was not, i anyone had told me I would do a book like this, I would have laughed at them. Yeah. But I just really wanted to write this thing and get it down partially because I felt like I'm right at the edge of my memories, not being trustworthy. And I notice when I talk with old friends or old bandmates that our stories often don't match up. Yeah, for sure. So I thought it was good to just get it down on paper. And then that also gave me the time to really just smooth things out. I don't know how you are as a writer. Like, do you, do you find that you need to just put things in a drawer and come back to them at a certain point? Or are you yeah. comfortable just kind of going through things from yeah. A to Z? Yeah. I think, I think the first one for sure. So there's something about writing about, um, the past stuff that just makes you relive it in a different way. And like you said, it can be therapeutic, but it can also be like incredibly disorienting and upsetting and, bring up, you know, psychological stuff that I thought I had kind of progressed past. Um, a lot of like my first book and the, the next, um, two that I'll write are, will be about my hometown and the doomed, but the doom book was actually really nice 
kind of break from just being in my hometown mentally because writing about it just puts me back there in in such a huge way and it it can be right. such a bummer because there's such a huge uh suicide rate and is this oh, incredibly depressing wow. and um you know very dead end in a lot of ways and i remember i mean since i was like 12 years old i was like i have to get the fuck out of this place like this is not where do you, you live now um long beach california oh okay yeah Good. yeah <laughs> yeah so you uh, probably have the same thing i have with palm trees are really exciting yeah super exciting that has never i've been here for 20 years now and that never went away yeah i've had many times where i've been really really mad at the world or at a specific person and i step outside and there's a palm tree there's a specific face that joe preston would make when he was mad but mm -hmm. we were all trying to cheer him up and that's the face i would make and it's sort of like inner turmoil like if it's sort of like the the expression that walter Matthau used to make <laughs> where you're trying to like just turn your whole face into a frown, but you can't really do it. You know, yeah. the bad news bears are such cutups. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's what palm trees do to me. So yeah, hopefully here. that's how it stays for you. I think it's really nice that I haven't acclimated to them yet. Yeah. Yeah. And just, uh, when I walk outside during January and it's 70 degrees and not, um, you know, where I'm from would get like 20 degrees below zero. And there's this kind yeah. of like constant wind chill. And so I walk outside. Yeah, and I'm you like, all had it rough. Yeah. I was in Vermont for one winter, <laughs> but we had mountains, so it's not where where you are. I'm trying to remember Wyoming. I mean, is it kind of it's flat? Yeah. Except when it's not flat, right? So exactly. You, you, you would get hit with really bad winds, right? Yeah. Yeah, insane winds, and it was kind of constant. And really, I think that's part of kind of the uh, the suicide rate where I'm from is that it's like so relentless that. Right. Like you, you have no solace from like if your job is working in a, a coal mine or oil field and, yeah. you know, the company essentially like hates you and treats you like dirt and then you get off and it's just constantly windy. I can see why that's like a, a dead end for people in a lot of ways. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um. But yeah, not to uh, end on a super. Well, I guess we will end on a very depressing note. Um. But uh. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm getting the uh, the time notification over here. So thanks so much, Sam, for talking to me. And I can't wait to uh, delve into uh, mutations. Yes, uh, thanks. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these things, podcasts are weird, right? Like it's a weird concept. It is weird. So, uh, you know, kudos to both of us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, thanks. Yep, thanks, Sam.